Amen and amen. We are on part three of a series entitled The Keys to the Kingdom, Discovering the Authority of the Believer. We've been laying some important framework and some backdrop and foundations for understanding what our authority is in Jesus Christ. Today, our focus is on exercising authority, these keys we've been talking about, over Satan and the spiritual realm. Authority over Satan and the spiritual realm. And by the way, just to give you previews of coming attractions, next week we'll be speaking on the subject of authority over temptation and sin. Over temptation and sin. Then the final week, authority to bless. The authority to bless. And we'll look forward to wrapping it up on the final uh, Sunday of the month of May. So today, exercising our authority over Satan in the spiritual realm. Let's get started with the verse of Scripture that's our cornerstone verse for this series, taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. I'll just read part of it. Uh, the Scripture tells us Jesus' words. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, so that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We know this this was Jesus' promise to the church, that he would give us the keys of the kingdom. We've been talking about what these keys are. We said that keys in Scripture represent what? Authority. So if you have the keys to someone's car, you now have access and authority to drive that car. We also notice that in Luke chapter 10, we have this <clears throat> powerful uh, description of what happened when Jesus gave authority to his own disciples and asked for them to go and to share the gospel, asked for them to go and heal the sick, them to go and cast out demons and to pronounce the arrival of the kingdom of God. Seventy-two disciples in Luke chapter 10 were sent out. We pick it up in verse 17, and I'll read to you what happened when they came back. And the scripture says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were ecstatic. They were actually surprised that this stuff really worked. I mean, they've been watching Jesus do this. But now he said, now I'm giving you authority. You go and do these same things following my example. And they did, and they came back shocked. And they said, even the demons will listen to us, and they obey us when we're using your name. And Jesus replied in verse 18, if I'm paraphrasing, guys, y'all shouldn't be so shocked. This really shouldn't surprise you. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw that. Why? Because we remember when we talked about before creation, we studied about what was going on before creation. We talked about that cosmic battle because Jesus was there, right? And he saw it may have even been his word and command that cast Lucifer out of heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And verse 19, I have given you authority... To trample on snakes or demons, to uh, trample on scorpions, evil spirits, and to overcome all the power of the enemy, Satan, and nothing will harm you. Now, Jesus was not only speaking to his 72 disciples at that moment, but this was a 
clear clue that it was Jesus' intent to transfer the keys of the kingdom over to all believers that can use his name. So today as Christians, we are in his stead. We have authority to use his name. He clarified it once more for us in Matthew's gospel that we do have that authority. And so we are to use the keys. And part of the way that we exercise and use those keys of the kingdom is over things in the spiritual realm. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky because people don't understand the spiritual realm. So today I want to help you to understand a little bit more of it. But I also want to remind you of a scripture, a story in the Old Testament that I think pictures and typifies exactly the power of the authority that we have. In Exodus chapter 17, you may remember the story, but Joshua had been commanded by Moses to go and to cause the people, the Israelites, to attack the Amalekites in this valley. And Moses said, and I'm going to go up to the top of the mountain. This was at God's instruction. I'm going to go take my staff with me to the top of the mountain. Now, do you remember about the staff? The staff was given to him by God. God demonstrated to Moses earlier when he started his ministry. He illustrated to him that that staff was supernatural and that that staff represented authority, God's authority that was to operate through Moses. So that staff wasn't just a walking cane. All right. This staff represented something. We know all the way back in early Exodus, we know that he used it to strike the Nile. We know that he used it to bring curses. We know that he used it to open up the, the waters of the Red Sea. The rod was synonymous with what? Authority. Once again, here we have Moses, who is now ascending to the mountaintop. There's a battle going on below between the Israelites and the Amalekites. And you know, it's true, the ites are always harassing us, aren't they, huh? How many of you have some ites, maybe, that are harassing your life? Well, there's always some ites around. This time it was the Amalekites. And when we see Moses going up to the top of the hill, and he takes his rod, and what did he do? He lifted it up, and when he lifted up his rod, all of a sudden, the events that were taking place down in the valley below would change. And the Israelites would begin to win the battle against the Amalekites. And then Moses would lower the rod, and guess what would happen? The reverse would happen. And all of a sudden, the Israelites would be on the losing side. And so Moses figured out, oh, now I know why God told me to go to the mountain and lift up the rod. This represents authority. This is the victory of authority, even in the battles that go on in life. And so he kept raising the rod, so much so he got two of the leaders to come and support him. They sat him down on a rock to where he could prop up his arms, and Aaron on one side, her on the other, and he kept the rod up long enough for what? For the Israelites to rout the Amalekites. That is an incredible story, but it is more important for us today because it is also true in our lives that if we will learn the authority, the staff, the rod that God has given to us in our life as Christians, and we would learn to use it, to raise it, to exercise it, that we would find more victory in our lives as God's people. Someone say amen. amen. So that's what we're talking about today about using your authority in the spiritual realm against Satan and your spiritual enemies. There's three things I want to communicate today. Number one, we must remember the basis for our authority over Satan. We must remember the basis for our authority over Satan. Now, I'm sure that you are smart enough and have enough understanding to know that Satan is real and that the spiritual realm is real. 
But just to remind you for a moment, before we review these scriptures, there is a spiritual realm and there is a natural realm. This natural realm we live in, this chair right here, is in the natural realm. Why? Because I can touch it and feel it. So how do I connect with the natural realm? My five senses, right? If you wanted to, you could even taste this chair. It's not very, not very inviting, but you could if you wanted to. So the way we connect with things in the natural realm is with our five senses. But the spiritual realm is totally different. It is not visible to the natural eyes. You don't hear things, although there are things happening all the time. It is the invisible realm. It is a realm of the spirit. But the more you learn both of scripture and experience, you will find that the spiritual realm pre-existed the natural and is more real than even the natural realm. Even though we may not be as in touch with what's going on in the spiritual realm as we sometimes should be. There are things happening all the time, not visible to your physical eyes, but it's happening nonetheless. And so you have to understand that this is the spiritual realm we're talking about. And in the spiritual realm is Satan and demons and evil spirits. Those are not just Halloween creatures that are created for you to you know, think about on Halloween or to, to see in a scary horror movie. These things exist and are real. Now, you have, the first point is what? We have to remember the basis for our authority over Satan. If we're going to hold up the rod, if we're going to use the keys against Satan and the spiritual realm, the forces in the spiritual realm, then we have to understand the basis for our victory and authority. If there is no legal basis for our, script, for our authority, then we're, just, we're fighting a fool's war. So we need to understand the basis. What is the basis? These are things that we've already talked about in prior weeks, but I'm using this by way of review. All right. So the first one is what? We have to remember our, the basis for our authority over Satan. I've got three scriptures to mention to you. Number one is in Hebrews 2.14. Listen to it carefully. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Who's it talking about? Jesus. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him. Everybody say destroy. So that he, Jesus, might destroy him, Satan, who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. In other words, when Jesus went to the cross, he went to destroy the power of death and the devil. Up to that point, the devil had actually robbed and had power over death because he had robbed the rightful authority that once belonged to humanity when Adam and Eve received it from God. But through Adam and Eve's sin and treason against God, Satan had rightfully taken it back. But when Jesus went to the cross, Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, whenever you see that phrase in the New Testament, you know it's speaking of demonic, satanic powers. It's not speaking of governments. It's not speaking about earthly things. It's talking about demonic power. And it says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
That means that when Jesus went to the cross and was in the earth for three days and was raised from the dead, he gained a victory over Satan to the point that here Paul says it was like he disarmed all the powers of Satan. And the word disarm there means to strip or to dethrone. If any of you have ever been hunting and maybe you have field dressed a deer out where you've been hunting and you had to literally rip and tear the hide and the skin off of that animal so that you could process the meat. That is the same concept being described by this word disarmed. It means to strip down, literally like you're ripping the skin off, the hide off of an animal. Jesus, hallelujah, has disarmed all principalities and powers and satanic powers. Isn't that good news? He did it at the cross. I like that word triumph, don't you? That's a a victorious term, triumphing over them by the cross. So that he could say in Matthew 28, in verse 19, just preceding the Great Commission, so that Jesus could stand in front of his disciples, stand in front of the, that which was going to become the church, and saying what? All authority in heaven and earth is now mine. It's been given to me. I got the keys back. I paid the price. I'm the qualified. I was a qualified challenger to Satan's authority. And I've taken the keys back from him. And now I've got them. And he says, all authority, all the keys, they're mine. And then he says what? Therefore, now you go. He's empowering, authorizing the church, believers, to now take that authority for ourselves. This is the basis, legal basis for how we should exercise our authority everybody understand that how many of y'all know we're talking good news today this is good news number two second thing i want to communicate is that we should learn from the example of jesus when it comes to exercising authority over satan in the spiritual realm there's a lot of examples in the life and ministry of jesus that we can glean from so let me just remind you a couple of key scriptures By the way, these are just a sampling of of things that happened in the life of Jesus. Right after Jesus had gone through the wilderness, and we'll look at this next week, because we know that in the wilderness he dealt with Satan's temptation, didn't he? Hmm? So then right when he comes into his ministry, this is the first historical account of him ministering. Right off the bat, I want you to see what happens. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not just as teachers of the law. When it says that he taught them as one that had authority, it's not suggesting that it was just impressive language. It's not trying to tell us that he had great homiletics. It was not trying to say that his articulation was amazingly clear. Although I'm certain that all those things could have been true. There was something deeper to their comment about this man doesn't teach like our religious leaders, scribes and all. He teaches as one with authority. They were very impressed by that. Now I want you to watch. That authority was something going on in the spiritual realm. Look at the next verse, verse 23. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit... By the word, the word there, possessed, 
is a Greek word, demonozomai, which just means to be demonized, to be influenced by to an excessive degree. He was possessed by an impure spirit. What's an impure spirit? It's an unclean, demonic power that was, that was influencing this man. Look, it says, the man who was possessed by this evil spirit cried out in the middle of church, interrupting Jesus' sermon. Look what he said. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Now, Jesus knew that what was being said was not originating from that man. He was simply the man that was being influenced by the demon. He was simply the vehicle by which these demons were speaking. So you get the picture? Here's a guy being influenced by, controlled by a demon, and in the middle of synagogue, he begins to shout out against Jesus. I'm sure that that kind of incident had never happened in that synagogue before. But all of a sudden, Jesus comes. He shows up, walking under the authority of his Father, walking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and all he has to do is begin to teach, and all of a sudden, demons get stirred up. By the way, we shouldn't be surprised at that. I know I've been ministry quite a while now. I'm going on 45 years in full-time ministry. I've been attacked on a platform two different times by demonized people in the U.S., not to mention everything's happened overseas. Attacked two times, one with a knife, one with a gun. I've had all kinds of incidents because when you understand your authority in Jesus and you're carrying that authority with you, demons recognize it. They know it. So you say, well, I've never been to a church where demons are at. Well, I don't know what to tell you. But I'm just telling you, when you really understand your authority, the devil gets stirred up. I've seen people manifest all the time. And all is that what it really is, is this the demons stirring them up. Many times they don't even know what's happening. How did Jesus respond to this? Verse 45, 25, be quiet, he said sternly. And I wish you could understand this, that the language there, he said, be quiet, sternly. It's, uh, he might have today just said, shut up. That would be a strong language today, wouldn't it? Just shut up. Who's he speaking to, that man? No, he's speaking to the demon who was in the man. Shut up. Come out of him. What happened? The evil spirit shook the man violently. I've seen that plenty of times too. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Boy, I bet people left synagogue that day talking, don't you think? Boy, they left there saying, man, we've been to church. Woo! We've never seen anything like this before. Here Jesus noticed that he took action. He didn't just allow it to go on. He took authority over it. And notice he first he silenced the demon and then he cast it out to come out of him. And the, end, and the evil spirit left and uh, the man was set free. Praise God. Let me give you another example. That's Jesus in the synagogue. Let's look at Jesus with the pigs. All right, that's a great story, isn't it? Hmm? Can't forget about Jesus and the pigs. I'll tell it to you very quickly in Mark chapter 5. Jesus and his disciples just getting off the boat, having crossed the Sea of Galilee. The moment that he steps into this particular region, the region of Gadara, 
He steps off, and immediately a demonized man runs right to him and falls down right in front of him. Isn't it amazing how when you're walking in the Spirit, you can actually even attract stuff like this? Okay, this stuff can, I mean, he, he just steps off. He hadn't said anything. He hadn't done anything. He just steps off the boat. And immediately this demonized man comes right in front of him. And the Bible simply tells us, this is a man, you can look at it in several gospel uh, versions. And it tells us that he's a man who lived in the graveyards. It's a man who cried and shrieked all night long. People wouldn't allow him to stay in town. He mutilated himself, cut himself all the time. They tried to chain him. They tried to put him in chains to control the guy, and he broke all the chains. Why? Because there was evil spirits residing in him, and you'd be shocked at how much physical power evil spirits can exert. So much that people couldn't, people couldn't control him. I, I've seen it happen. People in their normal natural strength try to deal with demons. That's not a good policy. You better know your authority in Jesus if you're going to cross into that realm. And so here Jesus, he, he comes and he, and, he lay, and he comes before Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus immediately said to that man, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And we know the Bible says that uh, we won't go through all the details, but names himself, legion, all this kind of stuff. The bottom line is he gets set free. All right. Jesus sends the demons into the pigs. That's, you can read the story on your own. The good news is the man was set free. And so much so that the Bible says that he became like an evangelist in his area. And people, the word about his freedom spread like wildfire. And he began to be used greatly to affect that region for Jesus. Revival broke out because of his testimony. Hallelujah. Jesus set him free. Notice how Jesus is dealing with spirits, though. How? Authoritatively. He's not messing with them. He deals with them proactively, authoritatively, and verbally. Let's look at one more case. The woman with the spirit of infirmity in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verse 10 through 13. Let me read it to you. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues again. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit... For 18 years, she was bent over, could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are now set free from your infirmity. And then he placed his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Isn't this a great story? Now, most people look at this and say, well, it was a healing. It was a miracle. That's great. Yes, but dig a little bit deeper. And notice that it says there was a woman there for 18 years, had been crippled. She had been bent over. We don't know whether it was some extreme kind of arthritis condition, but we know it was so impactful, so affected her body that she was bent over and couldn't even stand up. 18 years had been in this condition. But notice why. In this case, it says... She had a spirit, a spirit of infirmity. Now, pause. There are all different kinds of demon spirits. Demon spirits take on certain functions and personalities. 
I'm not here to teach you a course on demonology today, but that is the reality. There are spirits of fear. There are religious spirits. There are familiar spirits. There are all different kinds of spirits that cause people to do different things. This one happens to be a spirit of physical infirmity, meaning what? This is a demon spirit that can actually produce a sickness or a physical condition. Listen carefully. Please do not leave here today saying, Pastor said, all sickness is caused by a demon spirit. I did not say that. I simply said that some physical conditions and sicknesses and disease can have a demonic root and be started and maintained and sustained by demonic control over someone's body. Jesus identified it right here. He said that was caused, this crippled condition was caused by a spirit of infirmity. How did he deal with it? First thing he did, he had compassion for this woman. He actually was one that called her forward. He called her out. He saw her condition. That's the compassion of Jesus. He called her forward, and then the first thing he did is he pronounced to her, be set free. You are set free now from this spirit of infirmity. And then he laid hands on her, and she was healed so she could stand up. Notice that the healing followed the deliverance. She had to be delivered first before the healing could be manifest. Sometimes I think we're praying for healing and we're not possibly, possibly. There may be a spirit force involved that we have to deal with initially before we get the kind of results and healing that we really want. I've seen it before. I prayed for people who have major pain in their body. And, and while I'm praying for them, it's like the Holy Spirit just opens up my eyes, gives me discernment. And I'll say, it doesn't always happen, but sometimes this has happened where I'll say to the person, I say, I, I, see, I see that there's, are you having a pain like this? And I'll describe it. I can literally see the evil spirit. God will give me discernment. I can see this thing. Like literally I've seen demons holding people's heads, grabbing their heads, squeeze them like a vice. I said, you have a headache, don't you? Oh, I've had a headache for days. I know you think I'm nuts, but I've seen it. Take authority over that spirit. You spirit that's causing those, the pain and the headache right there, address it very specifically, command it to let them go. Boom. Say, how's the head now? It's amazing. I feel much better now. Why? Because we went to the source. We went to the root of the problem and dealt with the spirit. Here's a case Where this woman was healed, the result was a healing and a miracle, but the root of it was what? A spirit of infirmity. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying Jesus gave you just a few examples of Jesus operating in authority under the Father's authority through him. He's operating authority, and there's some things we can learn from watching him act and minister. A lot we can learn. All right? So now let's shift to number three. First one was what? We need to remember the legal basis for our authority. Number two, we need to learn from the example of Jesus. Number three, we need to use effective strategies for warfare. We need to use effective strategies for warfare. There are many different kinds of prayer. Uh, a year ago, January 2015, we, it's probably on our website under the media page, we did a series on prayer. We talked about all the different kinds of prayer. 
One of the kinds, of, for, for example, there's the prayer that's just of intimacy and fellowship with God. That's, that's the prayer we all, all, all be involved with daily. There's the prayer of asking or petitioning God for things. Different varieties of prayers. One kind of praying is the prayer of authority. Or we might just call it spiritual warfare. Because this is a battle we're engaged in, Scripture teaches us. And this is spiritual warfare, is using prayer in a way that maybe you didn't think about, but it is using prayer this time. We always think that prayer is vertical towards God, but this is conversation in the spiritual realm, but it's not aimed at God. Authoritative prayer, spiritual warfare prayer, is not aimed at God, but it is actually you speaking to the powers of darkness yourself. Now, many Christians that I know basically don't get this at all. And they, they, when they get into a jam or they feel like maybe they even discern there's something demonic going on, there's something spiritual kind of going on, what they do is they'll say, God, please help me. And I'm sure that God loves them and cares about them. But we have to understand truth. And he's already giving you the keys. And sometimes I imagine that God is saying, use the keys. I already put them in your hands. What are you doing? Use the key. But we're not accustomed to using authoritative prayer. We're not used to speaking directly to demons and to powers of darkness and the works of the devil that Jesus came to destroy. But you better get used to it if you're going to walk in victory and the overcoming life that God has for us. Because until you learn to use your words in the right way, you're going to live under the thumb of the enemy's plan for your life. John 10, 10. The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, destroy. I think you'd agree most of us have lost way too much to the enemy's efforts in the past. And it's time that Christians rise up Use our authority in this area and exercise it. So the kind of prayer we're talking about today is authoritative prayer or spiritual warfare. When we look at, the, once again, the example of Jesus, what can we learn in this manner from Jesus? Jesus, under the Father's authority, Jesus simply spoke and things were done. He spoke and things were done. You can even go before the actual earthly life and ministry of Jesus and find out that Jesus' words created this world. It's words that were creative. So this isn't anything new. But while he's on the earth, how did he accomplish his ministry when it came to activity of the devil? Always he did these things. Number one, he usually commanded people to be well. Now, I know this upsets some of your theology, but... I have not seen any place in the Gospels where Jesus prays to the Father to heal someone. If you can find it, you let me know. I want to see it. He doesn't say, Father, would you please heal this person? You know what he does? He commands. He speaks authoritatively. But he's never praying to the Father. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's wrong for you to pray to the Father, petition him for healing. But I am saying, I don't think we have walked in the level of commanding authority that Jesus demonstrates to us that we can. What else do we see Jesus do? 
He commanded the demon spirits to leave. How did he do that? Verbally, authoritatively. He didn't just stand there silently wishing that they would disappear. When it came to the wind and the waves, what did he do? He rebuked it verbally. He commanded them. We, you and I, should imitate Jesus and use our words to release the authority of Jesus in the world today. I'm going to say that again. We, you and me, we ought to be imitating Jesus and using our words to release the authority of Jesus. Why should we do this vocally? Because what I find many Christians to do is they want to do do this silently. They want to sit back and be reflective and just, "Mm, Lord, you know, I'm just communicating. The devil doesn't respond to that. In fact, there's much to be said. I I personally do not believe. There's no proof in Scripture one way or the other. I personally don't believe Satan can even read your thoughts. That's why when we speak, we get ourselves in so much trouble. I don't believe the devil can read my thoughts. But when I speak it, he'll jump on that and ride it as far as he can. Why should we verbally, vocally use our keys? Because, listen, the spirit world is always listening. The spirit world is always listening. And so when we are commanding, dealing with Satan in the spiritual realm, we have to do it verbally. And by the way, I don't think the volume of your voice is the biggest issue. All right? Now, I know some people think that, you know, the louder you shout, the more the devil's going to respond. Now, sometimes we get excited and we may raise our voice, but the authority is not in volume. The authority is in our words and us knowing what we're saying. And by the way, if you don't believe what you're doing has any power and effect, demons will pick up on it in a second. Satan knows exactly that you don't believe it. He'll just turn up the, he'll just turn it up on you. You have to develop faith on the inside of you to you wield these weapons. So I'm back to this issue of words. And I want you to really get this. I put up here Revelation 12, 11 for you. We've looked at this verse one other time, but I want to reemphasize it to you. They, Christians, I'm going to give you the parentheses, okay? They, Christians, triumphed, triumphed over him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. This tells us that Christians, the way we triumph and the way we overcome Satan is twofold. One, through a past finished work called the blood of the Lamb. Nothing you can do about that. It's already done, taken care of, finished. Hallelujah. Happened. Done. But the effect of that, the effectualness of that, is brought to bear by us. Now, how do we do it? Notice what it says. The word of your testimony. A lot of people read that and they think, oh, well, that's why we all need to go around sharing our testimony. It's not talking about your testimony. It's talking about the words of your confession, the actual words that come out of your mouth. You have you have to vocally, verbally exercise. This is the basis of your authority, the blood of the lamb. And what we do to exercise it is with our words. 
The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God in your mouth. It is a weapon. I like what one teacher taught many, many years ago. He enlightened me this concept. He said, what we don't understand is that our mouth is the launching pad for all the arsenal of, of weaponry that we have. Now, we know as Christians, we have spiritual weapons, right? Missiles, and we have, we have all kinds of weapons. Well, we could list them up. The name of Jesus, praise, the Word of God. What, by, see, everyone thinks that, all right, the Word of God is your weapon. This does not become your weapon until it's in your heart and in your mouth. I can carry this thing around all week, and it's not going to scare the enemy off at all, right? Some of you got that Bible clenched so tight it's going to explode under your arm. You need to put it in your heart, then get it in your mouth, and then stuff will happen. That is a principle. It's a law of the Spirit. So your mouth is the launch pad for all of the spiritual weapons. There's not one of them. How, with praise, you've got to open your mouth. To declare scripture over situation, open your mouth. To proclaim the name of Jesus, I have to use your mouth. You can't sit by and be a silent Christian and get anything done when it comes to warfare. All right. So, let me give you one quick story. I don't have time to give it to you, expanded version, but I want to give you some strategies quickly here before we close. Y'all might have to give me an extension on time here this morning, just a little bit. Let me give you the story. Quite a number of years ago, back in, I don't know, 2003, Carrie and I were on a trip. We led a team to Israel to do some ministry, and we were in the city of Bethlehem, which is in the Palestinian area now. It was during a time that there was lots of conflict going on between the Israelis and the Palestinians, we went into Bethlehem because we wanted to work with and, and minister at a Bible college there that focuses on the Palestinians. It's a great school, still in operation today. So we were there. We took a team. We were going to spend two days there. And the first day that we were there, um, the, uh, the head of the school said, you know, y'all just need to be aware we've been having a lot of, a lot of battling going on and missiles will come. And sometimes, sometimes they get a little close. So don't be freaked out. Was, Man, I mean, as soon as the sun went down, we started hearing fire going on. Well, you know, a bunch of these Americans, we were freaking out. You know, we we're like, oh, my gosh. And then it got real close. And we could actually see explosions going off right in the neighborhood that we were at. Well, we felt led to pray, you know. And, <laughs> I mean, I remember Carrie saying, what do you think we all do? I said, I think we probably all do something here. So I remember just us just praying. And what we did is we began to speak words of protection. We began to speak and release protection and safety, declaring that, that Satan wasn't going to be able to use what was going on in this actual physical warfare. He wasn't going to be able to use it to harm us or hurt us. Luke 10 said what? Then nothing will hurt you. So we began to speak these scriptures and speak protection and speak safety over our group. I mean, we couldn't do anything to change the war that was going on, but we could sure protect ourselves. Went on all night long. I remember the next morning we went and could actually see, even directly across the street, could see the damage and the bombs that had exploded overnight in this constant battle that was going on. We were right in the middle of it. Nothing happened to anybody other than lacking sleep. But nothing happened to anybody on our team. My point is what? You have to use the launching pad if you're going to send the weapons. And the mouth is a launching pad. Now, I give you very quickly six strategies. I'm going to run through them very quickly because I don't think they take a lot of 
explanation, but I will illustrate. These are strategies, effective strategies that you can use. You have the authority to use as a Christian. But if you don't know how to deal in different cases with Satan or the spiritual realm, you'll be rendered powerless. So here's some strategies to use. Number one, resisting. Resisting. James chapter 4, 7 and 8 says what? Submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil. And he will what? He'll leave. He'll depart. He will flee from you. So first, we have to submit to God. That's a prerequisite. Don't try to resist the devil until you're really surrendered to God. You may create more problems for yourself. So you submit to God, be in a right position under God, and then you resist the devil, and we have a promise that he'll run and to flee from you. The idea of resistance is a position of taking, it's actually a defensive posture, with the enemy is doing the attacking, and we are to what? We're then to resist. We're to take our position and resist the enemy. And before, uh, before we can stand before Satan, we have to make sure we're bowing before God, but we take a strong defensive posture. And the Bible says when you resist him and it's a firm resistance, no. How many of you ever felt like the enemy was like, I mean, taking advances against you, your family, your life? You have to say, wait a minute. I'm going to resist that. I'm not going to allow that. I'm going to take my authority and use it to resist, push back what the enemy's trying to do. Some of you, the enemy's trying to rob your children. Some of you, the enemy's trying to, to divert the, 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 your hearts of your teenagers. Some of you are having all kinds of issues in your home, in your finances, in your businesses. Listen, why don't you start resisting the devil? And do it verbally. Number two is rebuking him. Matthew chapter 17, verse 18 says that Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy. He was healed at that very moment. There's a place for rebuking, which is a verbal command against a spiritual force. You rebuke them. Have you ever had a person rebuke you? This isn't talking about one interpersonal rebuke. This is talking about you rebuking Satan and the enemy. And I have had many Christians who say to me, well, that's God's job. I want the Lord, and I've heard people pray this, Lord, would you please rebuke the devil off me? No, it's your job. Where are the keys? We have them. If you have the keys, drive the car. So you have to rebuke. When you identify what the enemy is doing, you can rebuke that. That is a... That's an opposition, a verbal opposing command. Number three, standing. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil's got schemes against you. You have to take your stand. And the only way you can do it is to put on the full armor of God and stand. Later on in verse 13, it says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Listen, the day of evil is when the enemy's attacking. That's the day of evil. And when you're under attack, when the enemy is trying to rob, steal, and destroy from you, you must take your stand. Stand is a position, just like an offensive lineman who has a job of taking that position on the line, said, you're not getting through this. No linebacker is getting through this. No defensive lineman are getting through this. No one's getting to my quarterback. Why? I've taken my stand. 
We need to do the same thing spiritually. Take a stand for our city, for our, city, for our nation. Take a stand for our families. Number four is binding. Binding. It's mentioned for us in Matthew 16, 18 that we already read where Jesus said these keys are going to have the ability to what? To bind and to loose. What does it mean to bind? To forbid. To prohibit something from happening. Just think about this. This is authoritative of power we have to prohibit Satan's activity over areas that we have responsibility for. But we have to bind Bind means to prohibit or to forbid. There are times I could give you so many examples where I've had to literally say, no, no, no more, no more. I bind that. I prohibit it in Jesus' name. When something begins to come against you, speak to it. Use the language. You can just say, I bind that in Jesus' name. In other words, I'm forbidding that from having any success or place in my life. Attacking, number five, 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, describes for us this attacking mindset when it says this, for though we, it says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. It says that we demolish them and we, ever, we take every argument pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought. You see that? Taking it captive. That's an attacking mode. We, are take, we need to be attacking whenever we're attacking strongholds in our own mind. When we're attacking strongholds in the neighborhood or in spiritual warfare, we're in attacking mode. You're not in a defensive mode. This is more of an offensive position and strategy. There are things that we need to attack. And finally, number six, casting out. Now, there comes a time where you just got to cast that if the enemy is the devil has actually, through his evil spirits, has gained leverage in someone's life. We're talking about people. If he's gained leverage in someone's life due to repeated sin, due to curses, generational curses, due to all different kinds of open doors, if Satan has sent his evil spirits and they've actually had the open door and they've been able to climb in and gain control, it's like a hook, it's like a fish hook. And they get in you. How many of you know that fish hook gets in you? You can't just, you can't just jerk it out like that, right? I mean, it's in there. That's what it's like when, when an evil spirit gains leverage in someone's life and they can dictate and affect and influence their life. And I'm not in any way, please don't think I'm in any way suggesting that a Christian can be, people get hung up on the word possessed. It's, it, it's really a, an, it's a moot point. It, de- demonic activity has to do with levels of influence, not ownership. As a Christian, Jesus owns you. It's a moot point. Don't get hung up on these fruitless arguments. Just know that the enemy can influence you. If he's influencing you, what degree is he influencing you by? It might be to the point that it's so controlling and has so much leverage that just binding it isn't enough. Just attacking it isn't enough. You actually have to cast it out. And the good news is we've got authority to do it. Jesus said, we shouldn't be shocked by this. Mark 16 says, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. You'll cast out demons. In my name, you're going to cast out demons. We don't cast out demons. No, we don't go there. Look, there are people who need to be set free. There are people being oppressed today. And sometimes it takes an extreme 
measure, strategy to deal with it. And that includes casting out. Now, I've given you six strategies here, and they're useful in different ways in different moments and different ones for different times. All of them are based upon the authority we have over Satan, all the works of the devil, and all the spiritual realm. I hope you can see that this is good news today. Can you see that this is good news for us as Christians? Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to ask that our prayer team, I apologize for 10 minutes extra, but it's free, no extra charge for that. I'm going to close the service in a little bit different way today than we normally do. I'm going to ask that our prayer teams would come and join me here at the front. And here's what I'd like to do. Uh, I'm going to invite, if you're here today and you feel like, you know, I need someone to pray with me about there's some stuff that has to do with this spiritual realm, this, it, some of this activity, satanic activity attacks that are going on in my life. You, you can identify it. It's not just mysterious. You can actually identify. I know what's going on. I can see it. And I think it has satanic origins. We want to pray for you. Goodness, because we've got the authority to do it. Hallelujah. So we want to pray for you and get you set free and released from some of that. So what we're asking today is if you're in that situation, I'm going to ask that you just come here to the front. In fact, you can even start now. You can just come and just stand right across the front. I'm going to pray a prayer, and these folks are going to help me minister to you in just a moment. All right? So you can come on, come now, and if you want. If you have any situation you think in your life needs some spiritual warfare over your life, we'll do that. You just stand right here front, face the front, and we'll pray for you as a group in just a moment. The rest of you who aren't going to respond to that, and by the way, if you don't know Jesus, now's the time to come to Jesus. Yeah, we'll help you do that too. Because you need to do that before you start trying to mess with the other stuff. All right? But we live in, an, in the midst of an invisible war. And the good news is we know the end of the story. Don't we? But God wants you to live free now. He wants you to live in freedom and victory. And part of doing that means you using the keys that God's given to you. Can I just speak a blessing to all, all of you? Uh, Pastor Todd's going to be at the door greeting you instead of me today because I want to be here to pray and minister to these who come forward. So I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing, dismiss you. If you want prayer and spiritual warfare over your life, we'll pray for you here as we close. Father, I speak blessings and release blessings upon the households and families and marriages and people who are here today. I just release, Lord, the blessings of help, guidance, peace, joy, hope. We release all the blessings of God upon these people's lives. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, amen and amen. I'm going to let you go. Please be respectful of our time of ministry here, and we'll see you next week.